Welcome to the Firestarter Podcast. People, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and it's my passion, my purpose, and my business to make the world a better place through storytelling, which is why we're here today. We'll talk to mission-driven entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and investors, thought leaders, researchers, and experts on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues about designing and thriving in careers of impact. My guest today is Alyssa Peterson, co-founder and executive director of See Ahead, a blue tech startup platform founded in Boston that helps build companies, runs an incubator, and facilitates investments that are catalyzing a blue tech cluster in the Northeast. Alyssa was most recently the VP of product marketing and planning at NanoSteel, an advanced materials company creating scalable solutions for vehicle lightweighting and 3D printing. Prior to NanoSteel, Alyssa was director of product marketing and business development at Primus Power, a venture-backed grid-scale energy storage technology company. Through her work at NanoSteel and Primus, she has managed business development, strategic planning, marketing, government relations, and mergers and acquisitions. Prior to her startup experience, Alyssa was a consultant in McKinsey's global sustainability and resource productivity practice in the U.S. and Europe. She serves as a mentor through the Cleantech Open, MIT Clean Energy Prize, and Year Up. Alyssa holds a master's in mechanical engineering from MIT and a bachelor of science in civil engineering from Duke University. In today's conversation, we discuss the key role of the ocean in climate change, why investment and innovation have lagged in ocean-based venture projects and solutions, and the evolution and explosion of the blue tech space in recent years. I'm so excited to bring you this conversation with Alyssa and hope that it inspires new perspectives on the incredible body of water that covers 70% of our planet and a roadmap for ways to get involved in the blue economy. Welcome to the show, Alyssa. So happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. So you are the co-founder and executive director of Sea Ahead, which is described as a blue tech startup platform helping build ocean-based companies. You run an incubator, facilitate investments, and are supporting the growth of a blue tech cluster in the Northeast. So there's lots to explore there. But first, you know, blue tech and blue economy have become more common terms these days, but I'm not sure all of our listeners are really familiar with those terms. So I'm wondering if you could give us a little primer on what blue tech and blue economy is. Sure. So the blue economy is defined as all of the economic activity that surrounds the ocean. So it would be the industries that use the ocean in order to do their business. So that would be, uh, say, ports and shipping, uh, or the offshore uh, energy industry, of which our uh, primary concern is with the renewables industry related to offshore. But um, you know, in the wider blue economy, uh, offshore oil and gas would also be included underneath that um, sort of umbrella. And then it includes um, fisheries and aquaculture. So, so all those things that take place in the in the ocean, and it includes um, as well for, um, you know, for broader economic terms, it includes tourism and all of the things that take place related to the tourism of the ocean. Um, and when uh, and when we look at it, we, we look at 
primarily the the tech intersections. And so, so tourism uh, is not a core focus of, of ours when we're looking at this, but it is like when somebody talks about the blue economy writ large, they usually, tourism is a very large part of the like sort of wider blue economy. And we expand this uh, these definitions a bit as well um, because we would include uh, coastal resilience and all of the, the innovation that's going to surround uh, coastal resilience underneath our blue economy umbrella. And then as well, uh, you know, approaches that would uh, alleviate ocean pollution. Um, and also we look at um, ocean-based climate change solutions. So ocean-based climate change solutions can sometimes intersect other of those categories that we just talked about, but sometimes they don't. So see ahead, it seems, takes a real kind of technology, kind of technology, intersection of technology and the ocean. And the ocean, exactly. And so it really, yeah, it's just, it's very broad, you know, what that covers yeah. when you get down to it. Yeah, it's funny because sometimes we tell uh, people that we are, um, uh, you know, focus on on this ocean and innovation, um, you know, sort of uh, theme, and they say, "Oh, well, that sounds really nichey," and um, you know, but but when you start to dive into it and all the things that are in there, then they'll say, "Oh, that seems a little too broad." So um, you know, it really just depends on which way you uh, which framework you want to look at it with, whether it's too nichey or too broad. Yeah, that's so interesting. So, you know, you bring a really interesting background to this work. You know, you have a master's in mechanical engineering from MIT and a BS uh, in civil engineering from Duke University. And you worked um, at an advanced materials company and also a solar company prior to this. How did you get interested in the oceans and come to this work yourself? Um, so... So I actually went a solar company, but it was a battery storage company. There we go. Okay. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Thank you for the correction. Grid scale battery storage. So for solar energy, obviously. There you go. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't come at this idea with the ocean framework myself. So I was, um, you know, looking at, um, I was in the advanced materials company. I was looking at what my sort of next move would be. and. I was meeting with a lot of different people and trying to think about, well, what are a group of, of companies or ideas that are within the clean technology sort of space, this climate technology, depending on how, how folks are looking at it now, at where, where there's overlooked entrepreneurs that could use assistance and they might be interested in um, finding you know, and belonging to a new co new concepts around around that support infrastructure. And so uh, I started doing a lot of coffee meetings and a lot of uh, sort of chats and met my co-founder, Mark Wong, and he comes from a naval architecture, marine engineering background, um, was at that point in time working as uh, the city of Providence's economic development um, lead. And so we got together and uh, started putting these ideas that we were each having him around this blue economy, uh, myself around, uh, you know, novel ways to support entrepreneurs. And we um, sort of brought all those things together and uh, formed Sea Ahead in 2018. I love that. I didn't know that background. It's so interesting how you kind of brought your different perspectives. Yeah. Um, so I imagine you've gotten to know the ocean a lot better, you know, in the in the years that have spanned since. Um, you know, how are our oceans doing? 
So I think one of the things that people, you know, the ocean is often out of sight, out of mind. And so people don't really think about the effect that we have on the ocean in, because it just, it seems so big, right? It covers 70% of the planet and it, it just seems like there's limited effect that we could be having on something that's so enormous, right? Um, but the the truth of the matter is that we we are having a large effect on the ocean. And so if you look at things, um, if you look at it, uh, about 40% of the global population lives within 100 kilometers of the ocean. And so that's uh, a lot of people who can and will be affected by rising sea levels, which are a result of climate change. And then you also see that the food systems can and will be affected by the effect that people are having on the ocean because uh, increases in pollution and increases in uh, dissolved uh, CO2 in the ocean, right? So the ocean is the planet's uh, buffer for the absorption of CO2. It has absorbed much of what uh, humankind has put into the atmosphere, preventing temperatures from rising more than they otherwise, uh, rising as much as they otherwise would. And so that rate, that changes the pH of the ocean. And when that changes the pH of the ocean, it changes um, the marine, it changes temp, and it also changes temperatures. So it changes the marine biology of the ocean. And so it will change where fish are present, where, so like lobsters now are not found where they used to be found, which changes the livelihoods of uh, the fishing community. It changes how um, that fishing community interacts with and intersects with um, marine mammals, right? And so uh, because marine mammals may travel and traverse in different places than they used to because of those changing uh, temperatures, it also has the, uh, the pH changes have the effect of, um, you know, perhaps making it more difficult for shell creatures to create their shells, which will have an impact on aquaculture. So, so there's all kinds of intersecting and interweaving changes that we're having on the ocean and that the ocean will also have on us as sea level rises. And so uh, we think that it's imperative to look at this space as a source of solutions to the very problems that we are creating, right? Um, and if you look at, say, the offshore wind industry, you can see how, how that is one of the ways that the ocean can work with us to help solve those problems because off the offshore renewable energy industry, the offshore wind, right, is set to build about 30 gigawatts of uh, offshore wind power off the east coast of the United States over the next 10 years. And that has the potential to have a big impact on the emissions coming from the east coast states. So lowering those emissions would lower the you know, pressures on the ocean and, um, you know, create jobs, et cetera. They're going to hire about 70,000 people. So all of these things can work together as sort of like a solution. You know, we're always thinking about this from a solution oriented approach. And, um, and because we, we believe that there is a, a need in this space for, for, um, you know, for a, a new and a sort of like what we call like the third leg of the stool, right? So there's a, a large number of people working on the ocean from a scientific perspective, and we need 
all of that great scientific work. We also have a, a large group of folks working on the, on the ocean from a philanthropic approach. So like marine protected areas and regulations and uh, climate policy and all of those things, which are, are super important to, um, to solving many of the challenges that we we're just talking about. And then we take, we're, we're adding this sort of third leg of the stool, right? Which is the venture innovation approach. And the reason that we're excited about that and why we're so passionate about what we're doing is because we believe that with you know, um, small amounts of initial capital and uh, sometimes initial philanthropy, we can move large sums of money into the space by, by breaking down barriers for entrepreneurs and for helping them get over the early stages of um, of like uh, innovation valleys of death, right? Um, and so when they can get past this piloting, they can get past, you know, getting that first check, they can drive larger and commercial sums of money into the space, which then breed essentially upon itself to create more impact into the future. Yeah, I mean, back to ocean acidification, it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's very refreshing to be, you know, focusing on solutions because what else do we have to do? You know, it's, it's, you know, more productive than just focusing on the doom and gloom because it really is terrifying when you, you know, dig into the science of what's actually happening and what's, you know, what's not happening a hundred years out, what is actually happening right now. Yeah. Um, so you know, you you get to know a lot of startups and companies in the blue tech space through your work at Sea Ahead. Could you share with us a few particularly interesting applications of technology for our oceans and maybe, you know, give us a sense of the range of work, you know, through that? Sure. So let's, uh, let's start in fisheries and aquaculture. So uh, in 2021, we invested in a company called Beta Hatch. Uh, Beta Hatch is out of uh, Seattle area, and it's a woman-led uh, CEO uh, co and company. And we are we're excited about that company because what they're doing is they're growing uh, mealworms. And what the intention is of uh, growing these uh, these insects is to use them for agricultural feed. And so, if you looked at agricultural feed, you would find that you know, if we're looking at poultry and we're looking at um, at aquaculture fish, right? A lot of them are caught, are, are fed wild caught small fish. Um, and so if we are looking at how we can feed the world into the future, growing populations, we want to be able to find ways that we can reduce the impact of low carbon protein sources. And so by feeding, uh, if we, and if aquaculture is going to expand, then we need to find ways to expand it without increasing the amount of wild-caught small fish that go into it and replacing what is, you know, is currently being used. And so uh, the introduction of insects is one of the ways that we can, uh, that we can approach that problem. And so that's the reason for our uh, investment in Beta Hatch, which we're really excited about. Um, and, uh, and, and they're making a lot of great progress opening a pilot facility this year. So that's that's one, um, and we can also talk about uh, you know other work, uh, other areas. So in the maritime space, um, from a totally different angle, right? Um, we've got a company called uh, Fuel Trust that's part of our um, that that's one of the investments that happened last year um, as well. And so Fuel Trust is 
a company that's working on using blockchain um, to increase the transparency of the fuel supply chain for the maritime industry. So one of the things that's really difficult to know is, uh, is that the fuel that you are purchasing is of the quality that you think you purchased. Uh, because there's uh, regulations around uh, low, low sulfur, there's going to be increasing um, demand for low uh, low carbon fuels. And so, if you think about the you know ship owner's perspective or the the charterer, you are looking at a very uh, challenging um, you know challenging time to know that what you purchased is is what you're getting and what you're putting into into the fuel tanks. And so. With Fuel Trust, you uh, what they're doing is they're tracing the provenance of the fuel uh, back into the in the supply chain, and by doing that, it allows uh, the the purchaser to have more um, confidence in the fuel that they have, are putting into their engines, and it also allows them to um, you know to certify if they're using something that has lower carbon. And so if if at, at the end of the day, carbon credits and other kinds of credits are to be um, you know, certified, they need to be able to prove um, where they got it from. And so, so all of this uh, work that Fuel Trust is doing plays toward, toward that movement. And so we're, um, you know, and they're on the way um, and growing and doing pilots as well. So they're doing great. Yeah, that's so interesting and just shows the kind of real range um, you know, you talked about the three-legged stool before, and I wonder, you know, I'd love your perspective on why, why the stool has remained two-legged, you know, for the ocean for so long, you know, why has the ocean been lagging behind, say, land-based agriculture, you know, um, or other land-based things in terms of innovation and, you know, business investment and development? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think that part of it is that because it's out of sight, many of the regulations that have been introduced in land-based industries have have been delayed in the ocean-based industries, right? Where where the regulations for say um, the automotive sector happened much earlier, the regulations for uh, energy efficiency in the maritime space are only just coming, right? So they have a carbon reduction goal of, um, you know, 50% by 2050. And so that's a a future uh, looking uh, innovation. Whereas on land, there's been, you know, consistent, more or less consistent, um, you know, movement toward higher energy efficiency in land-based vehicles. And so, so you really haven't seen as much kind of external pressures. Um, and it also has to do with this um, kind of shared commons and non-clarity around who has control over what in the, in the ocean and, and the need for international collaboration to, to make that, that those sort of, um, you know, changes that we'd like to see in in those industries. So, so that's one. Two is that you now see consumers changing their behavior, right? And so, 
Um, if you look at, say, uh, plastics and the circular economy, um, when and we look at, at that because we want to see less plastic pollution in the ocean. And so when you look at, at that side of things, this is really a, a, a consumer change that's being brought through the supply chain, right? So I don't know about you, but I try my I, I try hard not to consume as much single-use plastic. You know, and our company has policies against throwing events with single-use plastics. And our um, you know, we when we purchase things for others, we we try to avoid um, you know, being that consumer. And I think that that's, that sort of sentiment is much more widely shared than it used to be. And that's just one example. You also see examples like that in, um, in fish where, um, where the consumer is now, um, you know, being more and more, um, sort of empowered to make those sorts of decisions on behalf of their families. Yeah. So interesting. Um, so I'd love to hear more about Sea Ahead Ventures, which is your new venture, um, and how mm-hmm. it's different from more traditional venture investing, and you know why Blue Tech differentiates itself as a triple bottom line, you know, investment space and opportunity. Mm-hmm. So Sea Ahead Ventures is in the development stage. We just uh, started the fundraising for for that, and it is um, a sort of a in many ways, a standard venture fund set up like a, with a, a sort of a limited partnership structure. And the, the fund is being designed to invest in seed and series A stage companies. So the, the companies that are going to be coming, uh, going to be invested in through that would be ones that are a little later, later stage than some of the ones that are in our programs, right? So, so like our Blue Spell Incubator, the, the companies that go into that are very early stages so of the, the companies that we're looking to invest in through Seahead Ventures are a little bit further along. Um, and the, the platform that we've built with Seahead where we have these, um, you know, the, we have the incubator program, we've got a market access and entry program that'll launch this year with uh, in, in the Gulf Coast region. We've got uh, a variety of, um, of programs that we run with our corporate partners to try to uh, facilitate companies to work with uh, corporate partners. All of those things together are ways for us to engage startups that don't necessarily require us putting them through the sort of, um, uh, you know, let's say narrow channel that a venture capital fund would have for investment. So, so we can work with startups that are uh, in a variety of, of, from very, very early conceptual stage all the way through, uh, you know, our sort of sweet spot is up until series A stage where we work with startups. And then for a small subset of those where it's the the right match, then we would have the ability to help, uh, you know, with their capitalization through Sea Ahead Ventures. One of the things that we're looking for to do with Sea Ahead Ventures is to drive more capital into the space. So, um, you know, there's not, there, not very many venture companies that, are looking at blue tech as a sector and a thesis. Um, there are some that focus on on uh, certain subsets of uh, of of how we would look at blue tech. So uh, maybe aquaculture, or um, they might look at it from a maritime logistics uh, viewpoint. But uh, from the the sort of 
sector theme geography focus that we take, which is, um, you know, across the, the blue tech spectrum. There are very few that do that, are doing what we're doing. So we believe there's a lot of opportunities that are overlooked from sort of classic uh, other, other either clean tech, ag tech uh, investors, because this is not an area that they focus on. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, I'd love to hear your perspective on, you know, the evolution, even maybe since 2018, before that, or, you know, just even since then, of this space, you know, how have you seen and felt it evolve? Where do you think it's going? Where does it need to go? Yeah, so even since 2018, we've seen a lot of development in, in Blue Tech. When we first started we we started with events and gatherings because frankly we wanted to prove that there was enough there there in this sector um, that there was enough interest and in, and um, and that there would be enough ventures to support this thesis and so we we started by by gathering our people essentially right and uh, our the one of the first things that we did was host a a venture cafe in Cambridge with with venture cafe in the in the CSC space up in Cambridge, and something like seven hundred people showed up. And so then we were like, oh, okay, this is a thing we can work with. This people are interested, even if they don't know what it is. They're interested in this in the ability to apply their skill sets to the ocean. And, and part of why I think the tent has has really grown over that period of time is that we see a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs who have personal passions and also investors on our on our angel side, right? So we see uh, a lot of folks that have personal passions for the ocean who are coming to realize that there's ways for them to apply their their skill sets to the problems that um, you know that need solving in these spaces. And so, so we're starting to see more and more companies getting founded with, you know, founders that are sort of on the unexpected, right? Um, they're they're not necessarily folks that come, um, you know, from from deep ocean pedigrees, but they're folks that come from, say, data science or, um, you know, material science. Who say like, oh this is so interesting. I can apply what I know to these problems that think like, and, and they only are able to do that now because of, of uh, folks within the blue economy getting more and more vocal about where those problem sets are so that others can, can find ways to dive in. You know, as this, as this space grows, you know, are there any roadblocks that you've experienced, you know, as see ahead or that companies, you know, who have been in your network have experienced maybe because, you know, state regulations haven't caught up or, or other challenges like that consumer awareness, you know, just different things like that. That's the big, the big challenge sets that we're trying to solve for right now are around getting pilot projects. Uh, so, so pilot projects can be, you know, once you're bringing things out, uh, depending on if you're talking about um, software or hardware, it may be more or less difficult. But particularly when you are applying your technology to assets that are going to be in the water, it can be challenging for you to either get the data that you need or for you to, um, you know, put together the um 
the group of supporters that you need in order to do the pilot projects. Pilot projects can also be more expensive because of the, the nature of working in the ocean. And so one of the things that we're working on right now is designing um, you know, more opportunities for startups to pilot out in the water. And with players that are part of that piloting process that then can make a strong, uh, I would say, uh, that they can then make a strong impression on to move past pilot stage. Yeah, step by step. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so the last set of problems that we we tried to attack with Blue Swell was how do you get that first check, right? Because if it's no one's thesis, and if the you know government entities that would that often provide first checks are not focused on this, how do we, how do we get first checks to startups so that they can start their businesses? And so that's what we really focused on with Blue Swell. And so with Blue Swell now, um, we have eight, uh, you know, we've, we've, we're opening shortly for another cohort. Those will be cohort three, which is really exciting. And um, so with cohort three, we'll have space for somewhere between six to eight companies. Um, and, and so that will, uh, the, the cohort three will start in September. And so that was really the, the barrier that we aimed at with Blue Swell. And so that, that has been, um, you know, we've seen some success through that program. So cohort uh, one and two companies have now raised over $10 million uh, within the, um, the 13 companies that have graduated. And so we're, um, and we're expecting a couple more of those to raise in the next couple of weeks even. So that should go up shortly because some of the cohort two companies are raising right now. That's great. Um, you know, it seems like Sea Ahead takes a really collaborative approach to supporting businesses in your incubator, bringing together an ecosystem which spans public and private sector, scientists, startups, ocean stakeholders, technologists. Can you share more about the ecosystem type of approach, team approach, and why it may be kind of particularly important, you know, in the ocean landscape? Yeah, I, I think it is important in the ocean landscape because of the all the different stakeholders that are present, no matter what it is that you're looking to accomplish there. And uh, so with Blue Swell, we're partnered with the New England Aquarium, who provides to the startups that are part of that program, uh, you know, connections within the scientific community and also coaching and um, and education on how their specific projects um, can avoid negative unintended consequences and can um, account for and calculate the positive impacts that they're looking to have. So that's the that that and, and so that's one of the, the programs that we run. The Gulf Blue Navigator, which is launching this year, is our program in the Gulf Coast, and that's a collaboration with the University of Southern Mississippi and a variety of um, of other stakeholders in that region. And so that that program will likewise work, will work with startups of a slightly different stage than the one that's in, in Boston. But with that program, we'll be supporting those uh, entrepreneurs globally who apply to that program um, with the resources and assets that are available down in the Gulf Coast region and also to a different set of customers that are available up in the Northeast because they see a lot of uh, federal agencies down there and also, um, you know, different kinds of aquaculture, different kinds of energy. So, um, 
So if we're looking at um, the you know that region and the growth of startups, uh, that that region provides a whole other set of um, resources that we are able to provide up in Boston. And so part of what we are looking to do is because this um, the, there's one ocean, right? And there's um, a global set of customers for anyone who is working in the ocean. We what we need to do is we need to broaden the exposure that that the startups that are part of our community have to different stakeholders. And so those are just those are two of the um, you know of the partners that we have. We also have corporate partners like Orsted, who's one of our first partners. And we also have a, a partner um, in uh, the Cambridge Innovation Center, so CIC, which is where we live and where I am right now in this very cool room. And so, uh, and, and we've been growing that partnership, uh, our partnerships lately to include, um, you know, we have uh, a longstanding relationship with uh, Foley Hoag, which provides legal services to the companies in our, co in our cohorts and in our community accountants and software developers and brands, architects, et cetera. So we've, we've got, um, we're, we're continuously growing our, um, our group of, of folks that are willing to and, and capable of helping the startups to scale quickly. Well, also fascinating. Seems like a good moment to take a short break and we will be right back. Here at Firestarter Interactive, we're proud members of the 1% for the Planet network of businesses, having made the commitment to donate 1% of annual revenue to environmental causes. So for every dollar that we earn, one cent goes back to planet Earth and our mission to make the world a greener, healthier place for our generation and for future generations. That's $1 of every $100, $10 of every thousand. It may not sound like a lot, but every dollar adds up. And collectively, we can and are making a huge impact. With 1% for the Planet members giving back more than $280 million and counting to the environment. Visit 1%fortheplanet.org. That's 1% for the Planet, all spelled out, to learn more. We hope you'll join us. And we're back. So I'd love to hear you reflect, this is kind of based on something I was reading on your website about, you know, I think we often think of the ocean, the environmental space, even like ocean and technology, but, you know, you talk about how this really can improve lives as well. You know, can you reflect on that a little bit and how it intersects with us? You know, it's not just this kind of out there thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when we talk about the, the triple bottom line, which you brought up earlier, that includes um, you know, the economic impact for the in, for investors in the space, right? So the ability for the startups to grow and to create returns. Um, it includes environmental impact, which is, you know, fairly straightforward from everything we've been talking about right now. And then includes social impact. And so the social impact, what we're seeing uh, in the space is the opportunity to create jobs along the coastline not just in, in sort of like the urban economic centers that are uh, that have seen so much economic growth through the sort of technology changes. A lot of the regions along the coast haven't seen that that kind of economic development and have been sort of I guess you'd say left behind in in that development. And the ability for the supply chain related to, say, offshore wind, 
or for innovations in aquaculture to create value jobs and uh, more sort of social equity um, and, and address economic inequality is high because those are the oh, those kinds of jobs aren't well suited many times to being located in urban centers because the um, the cost of doing business is is high there and also the proximity to the water may not be present. So you can see that by um, but that through this space, we see a lot of opportunity for for job growth, job creation, and also for um, for spreading that out along a larger community than than the typical tech sector. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um... One so before, actually, go ahead. Yeah, like so, I could um, highlight one company that we're working with. I think that's like a particular um, interest in the space. So Vinci VR is from uh, was one of the companies in Blue Spells Cohort One, and they are a a company that uses VR to train workers. They were originally working uh, on on their system to apply it in the military. And we met them, uh, you know, sort of classic um, Cambridge style. We met them in the elevator and we were talking to them about what they do because they were always, you know, wearing their goggles on the, on the floor, uh, you know, out on the floor and doing, um, you know, kind of cool stuff. And we're like, who are these guys? We met them in the elevator and we're like, well, hey, have you thought about the potential of your technology to apply to the offshore wind sector because they're going to need to hire you know tens of thousands of people over the next 10 years and they could use something like this and so we we worked with the the CEO Eagle and found him um you know helped to make connections for him he ends up getting a uh a a contract with Siemens Gamesa to apply his technology into offshore wind. And now he's got um, relationships with and contracts with uh, the state of Massachusetts. And one of the things that they're using that for is to expose, uh, you know, to expose folks in under-resourced, disadvantaged areas to potential job opportunities in the offshore wind industry, which will, with the idea being that they that that if you would like to address income inequality, then you need to invite new people into these spaces um, from from communities that may not already understand and know what the job opportunities look like. And so he brings the he can bring his technology into a technical high school or a um, you know a community college and and find ways to draw new sets of people into that industry. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm also, that just made me think about, you know, the, with the environment changing, the ocean changing, for example, you know, commercial fishing was a big thing for a long time, but that's not necessarily, you know, the best thing for the ocean long-term and fish stocks are down. And so that there's, there's other ways to work on the ocean, whether it's in offshore wind or in aquaculture or regenerative ocean farming. Um, so I think that's, that's great. You know, thinking of, of it from a coastal community development standpoint. Yeah. And, and I would say that, you know, commercial fishing is not going to go away. Right. Um, but what we can and should do is find ways to improve the lives and livelihoods of 
of fishermen and also to give to to provide them with the value that they create when they do the right thing and they are following the rules and the regulations that are set in place in order to maintain fish stocks and um, and to avoid bycatch and other wildlife impacts. And so one of the ways that we can do that is through traceability and through transparency. And so similar to the field trust example I gave earlier, there are um, you know, opportunities for an overlayer of software and data analytics in order to provide that sort of that that the transparency that would be required in order for the fishermen to receive the value that they're creating. Because right now it's very difficult if you're in the store to know whether or not the thing that you're purchasing was caught in a sustainable way, or if it's coming from uh, you know outside the country and it it, it could have a variety of, of issues associated with it, which would not be clear to you. And so if, if we're to expect consumers to pay more for, um, for approaching the, for, from approaching fishing from a, from a sustainable perspective, then we're going to need to be able to tie that back. Makes a lot of sense. So uh, in the prep for our conversation, I reached out to our mutual friend and collaborator, Tino Chow, uh, to see if he had uh, any any thoughts on, you know, what would be interesting to, to chat with you about. And so, um, you know, he reflected that you're at kind of an inflection point here in your work uh, with Blue Tech getting a bit more mainstream. And, you know, so I'm wondering if and Tino's wondering, you know, if some new opportunities have come from that and how, how your role has evolved over time. And then the second part of that is, you know, what's on the horizon for this next phase and, and what does success look like? Just all the hard questions. <laughs> um, so, so when we started See Ahead, it was just Mark and I running around talking to everybody who would talk to us and some people who wouldn't, didn't really want to talk to us, but talk to us anyway, you know, and, um, and now we're eight people as of a couple of weeks ago, which is uh, is really exciting. But of course, that changes my role quite a bit. People want to, you know, our our new team members are like, well, what's our policy for this? And it's like, I don't know. Do we have a policy yet? Like, I guess we need a policy. Um, but uh, but so so our I, I guess I see as our roles are marketized roles are evolving to be the the sort of lead champions and and uh, business developers for for this space and to rather than having as uh, deep of an operating role, if you will, in the day-to-day operations of each program that we're running, more of a, a guiding and a, a a new opportunity mindset, which has been which has been really exciting. Um, I, and and it's a way for us to continue to grow and scale our work by but then, you know, focusing Mark and I on the on on the highest value opportunities and in the the sort of intersections where really sort of novel things can take place, right? Um, and and so we see really exciting intersections when we look at, say, offshore wind ports and the maritime industry, right? So like in that intersection, there's there's something really exciting about to happen. There's also potentially intersections with offshore wind and aquaculture, or there may be intersections with um, aquaculture and climate change, right? And so, so our focus is really around finding opportunity sets and 
and finding ways to apply what CAHEAD does best into those opportunities. As far as um, what success looks like for us this year, I would say that it's launching the Gulf Blue Navigator, it's getting a great cohort three for Blue Swell, and it's, um, you know, with any luck, the first close of Sea Adventures. And we start putting our money to work. Well, congratulations on all the growth. And it's just exciting to watch the journey. And I'm sure you will accomplish all those things and then some. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's really, it's been really exciting. And I um, am really grateful for having the opportunity to talk about it and to talk about all the things that are happening here. And um, yeah, stay tuned on that. While we're here, do you have any, you know, calls to action that you want to make for our listeners? I guess um, one would be if this space is exciting to you and you are entrepreneurial, start a company or join a company in this space. There's really great companies that are that are getting formed. Come to an event. Come to uh, we do lots of virtual and um, in-person events again. Thankfully, um, we could do them in person again. So uh, there's tons of ways for you to get exposed to the companies that are getting formed in the space. So please definitely come to that. If you are an investor in this space and you are an angel investor, we've got an angel network that have, they've done 12 or 13 deals now since we founded that. And so there's a lot of deal flow. There's a lot of opportunities to, um, to get involved and also to mentor. Um, so, uh, you know, for folks that are, that are interested in the space that are a little further along in their careers, if you would like to give back and work with the companies, uh, there's, there's plenty of opportunities for mentorship. And how can our listeners learn more about See Ahead, maybe connect with you? So our website is probably the best way to do that. So our website is, uh, so S-E-A dash ahead ahead.com and uh or you could also reach us at um so our info at is um info at c-ahead.com it's a good way that's great Alyssa. thank you so much for this conversation we'll have to you know do a part two on the other side of this year and you know talk about everything that you've done and everything that's on the horizon (laughs) thanks thank you for sharing another episode of the firestarter podcast people, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. If you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to the podcast, find show notes, as well as the video of today's show at firestarterix.com slash podcast. That's firestarterix.com slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Willa Kammerer, that's K-A-M-M-E-R-E-R, and at firestarterix and I'm Willa Hammer on LinkedIn. This is the Firestarter Podcast. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and I can't wait to share our next conversation. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and let's stay busy making the world a better place. <laughs>